all a wonderful thing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is yeast. The woman had 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages as he made his way to Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, try to enter able to. To the house get the door, you will stand quickly, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do, or where you come from. Then they, we ain't reply, I don't know you, or where you come from. Away from me, evil doers, there will we laugh. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, people will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod, he replied, Go tell them I will keep on driving demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will rule. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow to go and prophesy outside Jerusalem. 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 You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, belong to get as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again. It is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The year was 1989 when Disney released All Dogs Go to Heaven. In honest disclosure, I've never watched this film. But the title intrigues me with the folk theology that many people believe. Do cats go to heaven? What about ferrets or bearded lizards? All dogs go to heaven, but what about other pets that we love? Well, I I need to watch the movie before I can make any more comments on it. But it is that title that intrigues me. Because in Jesus' day, there was a similar sentiment. It wasn't all dogs go to heaven, but the sentiment was all Jews go to heaven. R.T. France writes in his commentary, teach the text, by the first century it was generally assumed that it was the Jews as the chosen people of God who were guaranteed a place there. 
with the exception of the few who had specifically forfeited their place through rebellion and unbelief. The idea of only a few finding the way to salvation, as we see in verses 22 through 27, and of Gentiles coming in to replace the Jews in verses 28 and 29, was therefore by now a quite subversive notion. Today's scripture tells us that admission into God's kingdom has nothing to do with genealogy. And the guest list will be smaller than most people assume. But even though the guest list is smaller than many assume, Jesus is broken-hearted over those who refuse to come through that door. As I see in front of me that the early parts of this text, beginning in verse 18, Jesus tells some unexplained parables. Usually when he gave a parable, he gave the meaning so that we knew what he was trying to say. But here he gives two parables without explanation, which has left many of us with confusion. So how do we figure out what these parables mean? Where else do we see these word pictures? Is there anywhere else that we read about a bush becoming a tree and giving shade to the birds? Well, the, the minuscule nature of mustard seeds are referred to in Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter 17 as a picture of little but thorough faith. If you have the faith but as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be gone and it will move. And, and so we see the picture of small faith being able to move huge obstacles. Some commentators link this parable about the bush providing shelter for the birds back to a tree in Ezekiel chapter 17 or in Daniel chapter 4, which pictures a tree as an analogy to a vast empire. Is Jesus saying that the kingdom is about to become a vast empire? And ever since Passover was established in Egypt in the book of Exodus, leaven is usually associated with sin that must be removed. Is Jesus saying that the kingdom of God is a vast empire and the kingdom of God is like sin? I, I don't think the comparison to evil or a world empire are what Jesus had in mind as he likens these things to the kingdom of God. So if these other word pictures don't tell us what, does it, what it means, what do these two parables, a mustard seed and leaven in a lump of dough, what do they have in common? Well, both of these parables speak of something that begins very, very small and it grows until it is unavoidable. 
The black mustard plant, unlike the tree that was pictured in the video that we just saw, the black mustard plant is a bush that grows usually to about four feet in height, but can grow as large as 10 feet. And so a four to 10 foot bush would indeed be large enough to provide shelter for small birds. And the three measures of flour that we read about, just a, a pinch of leaven in three measures of flour. Three measures would be about 36 quarts or a 50-pound lump of dough. But it all starts with a small pinch of leaven. Daryl Bach writes, The Jewish expectation was of a quick establishment of a powerful, comprehensively present kingdom that all of a sudden Messiah was going to come and immediately everything would be set right. However, Jesus teaches that the kingdom comes gradually with growth that will culminate in its total presence. And so the fact that we are not a church of a thousand people doesn't mean that we can't participate in God's kingdom. It starts small, and it grows, and it spreads until all are aware. Because I found that God frequently uses that which is obscure. And hear me when I say this. I don't mean to be negative, but insignificant. The things that are often overlooked, God uses for his purpose. When Samuel approached Jesse and says, God has told me that one of your sons is going to be king. Where did Jesse start? He started with the biggest son, the oldest son. And he brought out the big boy. But who was it that God finally said, this is the one? It was the small one, the one who was out in the pasture taking care of the flocks. See, God frequently uses the obscure, the overlooked. When Goliath called out the armies of Israel and he says, Who is going to do battle against me? Who was it that God used to bring victory? When Saul tried to arm David with his royal, majestic, regal armor, what did David choose to use? a sling, and five smooth stones from the brook. When God spoke to Elijah, what form did God take? For we read in 1 Kings, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Harshman construction was found way back in 1 Kings 19. It tore the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
Because God frequently uses the obscure, the overlooked, the insignificant to accomplish great things. How big was the lunch that the lad offered to Jesus to feed the multitude? I did a little research into the loaves and the five loaves and the few fishes. The loaves are not like a French bread loaf. They're not like sliced Wonder Bread in the one or two pound package. They were more likely just dinner rolls or hamburger buns. He had five rolls and a couple of fish. Gospel singer Danny Bell Hall wrote the song back in 1977. Now you're beginning to wonder, what song is he going to sing from 1977? She wrote, just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He chooses people just like me and you who are willing to do what he commands. God uses people that will give him all, no matter how small your all may be, because little becomes much as you place it in the master's hand. See, God frequently uses the obscure, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like a little mustard seed, but it's going to spread. The kingdom of heaven is like a a pinch of yeast, but it will permeate all 50 pounds of the dough. And my friend, we are a church that God has placed in Chase County. And the influence of our testimony and the witness of our God and the empowerment of his spirit will cause little to become much when we place it in the master's hand. One day Jesus was asked, well, who is going to be included in this ever-expanding kingdom? Will there be many people in this kingdom or just a few? And Jesus replied with startling news to many of these. Because Jesus tells them that there is one door and only one. What do we know about this door into the kingdom in verses 22 and following? Well, first, we know that this door is a narrow door. Because he says, strive or make effort to enter by the narrow door. As a matter of fact, as I look at this text... Both the small size of the door and the effort, literally the word is with agonizing struggle. With agonizing struggle, make sure you go through the little door. And both of these pictures indicate that only a minority will go through the door. You cannot simply drift into God's kingdom. It requires intentionality that we do it the way that he has prescribed according to his great kindness. See, contrary to the wide gate that is described in Matthew chapter 17, or the idea that 
all Abraham's children find rest. Or today we hear, all paths lead to God. But Jesus surprises his audience by announcing that some will find themselves coming up short in their moral and their religious attempts. That's why I labeled this sermon a spreading but an exclusive kingdom. Because not all who think they are in are in. But I also see that not only is the door narrow, Jesus is the only way, but also the door will not remain open forever. Because see with me at verse 25. We see there's not only a narrow door, but it will become a shut door. There will come a time when the master of the house closes the door and some will be found on the outside. Just as God shut the door of the ark, there will be a time when he shuts the door into his kingdom. And foolish is the person who delays. Foolish is the person who thinks, I've always got another opportunity to surrender to Christ. Right now, I'm about me. Right now, I'm about my fun. Right now, I'm about my education. Right now, I'm about my career. Right now, I'm about my interests. There's always time for that later, but the door will shut. And foolish is the man who delays by thinking there will always be another chance. A narrow door and a shut door. You know, children's ministry has changed a lot since I was a kid. Today, often children's ministry is given its own wing with easy access so that visiting parents feel safe leaving their children. Back in the day, the three earliest churches that I remember held children's Sunday school in the basement. And basements were usually damp in the 60s and 70s, so the piano was often out of tune. On the rare occasion that we even had a piano player for the children's ministry. But those memories are strong. I still remember my teachers. Ruthie Gibbs, Barbara Howerton, Elsie Snyder, and Neva Lemons. And I remember those Sunday school teachers with the same fondness that Liz McLaren thanked Elois Coughlin for leading her to accept Jesus as her Savior. It was usually my mother, as a pastor's wife, who hosted the opening exercises to children's Sunday school. And we didn't have videos or recordings Usually we just sang off of a flip chart or a large book, often printed by Child Evangelism Fellowship. But one of those songs that I remember from my childhood, I can recall the poster board and I can hear my mother leading us is one door and only one and yet its sides are two, inside and outside, on which side are you? And the song went on, there's one door and only one, and yet its sides are two. 
I'm on the inside. On which side are you? The song carried on. One Lord and only one. And yet the ways are two. The right way and wrong way. On which way are you? And it concluded with one book and only one. Which tells of places two. Good place and bad place. On which place choose you? See, the door is narrow and one day it will be shut. And some will find themselves on the inside and some will find on the outside because a shut door always creates a divide. There will be those who on the outside and they said, did we not participate in fellowship time? Didn't we drink the church coffee? Didn't we eat the donuts? Didn't we even sit through the preaching? And Christ will say, but your name isn't written in the book of life. You got close. You did religious things. But you never had the heart change. Too many people miss heaven by what they call the 18-inch miss. They never let the things in their head change the nature of their heart. And Jesus says, there are going to be those who are on the outside where there is weeping and gnashing and grinding of their teeth. Because although they came to fellowship time and they heard the sermons, their heart was never changed. But he says in verse 28 that there are those who are faithful. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all had personal encounters with Yahweh. But many of Abraham's descendants, even the good Jewish boys and girls, will be cast out because they lack that personal encounter with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he tells all the Jewish boys, you aren't all going to be here, but it's only those who have a personal encounter, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says that the kingdom's not only going to be filled with the Jewish boys and girls, because verse 29 says that there are those who are far off from the north, the south, the east, and the west, those who are coming from far, and yet they're going to come near and they're going to recline at the table on the safe side of the door. And verse 30 says that there are those who will be first. So we see the faithful, the far, and the first. See, see, see the alliteration? You'll remember that this week. The first are those who are like the woman in verses 10 through 17 that we looked at last week. The woman whom the religious leader did not have time for. He didn't have time for her. Come back when it's more convenient for me. But Jesus says, the overlooked, the obscure, will become first. See, those who are on the outside are weeping and, or, and grinding or, or clenching their teeth. In contrast, those who are on the inside, they're reclining. I, I, li I like that picture in my mind of reclining. Reclining is not a defensive position. Reclining is not a, I'm ready for the attack position. 
Once I push that button and the footstool comes up in the recliner, when I'm reclining, it means I'm there to rest. And Jesus says there are going to be those who have a personal relationship, who come from far, who recline at his table. Because his table is a place of rest. Now, I don't believe that Noah and his family took any delight when God shut the door, when the rain began, and the pleas of the people were too late. And in the same way, in the final section of today's verse, Jesus weeps when he considers that some will be outside when the master, Father God, shuts the door. Because verses 31 through 35 of this chapter, Jesus speaks of his invincible confidence. Jesus has confidence in a plan that is about to be carried out. See, first, we see that Jesus takes no pleasure in those who are outside the kingdom. His king, his desire is that they would seek first his kingdom. But many in Jerusalem, according to the scripture, were unwilling. You see, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Everyone who finds himself in perdition is there because he or she decided to rebel against God. And he or she was unwilling to accept his free gift of eternal life. That's why Jesus says, I would like to gather you together unto me like a a hen with her chicks, but you were unwilling. And some of us today are unwilling to come to Jesus on his terms. But verses 31 and 32 tells us that Jesus was focused on finishing his course. As a matter of fact, I I look at the map that is in front of us, and you'll notice on the map that if you look down at this section right here, where it appears, yep, it colored, this section that is green, many believe that this is the path that Jesus took from Samaria down to Jerusalem. But in this area where the green, that's what's happening in today's text. And in this text, many believe that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem came down on the east side of the Jordan, which put him in the region that was governed by Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was even more cruel than Pilate, who executed the Jews traveling to sacrifice in the first two verses of this chapter. We go back, remember, there were some who came just to offer their sacrifices, and there was an uprising, and Pilate killed them. This Herod is even worse. And so the others say, Jesus, uh, watch out for Herod. He's out to get you. And I believe these religious leaders were thinking, the best way to shut Jesus up is to get him to go away. And if we can scare him and make him go away, then his calling people to repent won't happen anymore. But Jesus says, I'm going to finish my course. I've got a plan, and I'm going to work the plan. Have you ever considered 
what it means to be invincible? If we truly believe that a sovereign God has numbered our days, we can live with confidence that nothing will kill us until God's purpose for us is complete. Just as God permitted Satan to afflict Job, but God limited what Satan could do to him, if we believe in a sovereign God, God is going to protect us till his purpose for us is complete. And so that's why when Jesus heard about Henri Herod, Jesus knew that he had a task and that his purpose was not done. So he didn't fear Henri Herod. He says, I'm going to keep on the course and I'm going to finish the course until it's done. See, that is the confidence that Jesus had as he responds to this threat of Herod. He knows that he has come to earth for a purpose and that nothing would deflect that mission. Jesus finished his course. My friends, here's the 30-second summary that you wish I started 30 minutes ago. God's kingdom started small, but his kingdom is growing like a mustard bush or like yeast permeating dough. Elsewhere, Jesus has promised that he would build his kingdom and the very gates of hell would not prevail against him. As we live in Chase County, the rule of God has started. And it is spreading until it reaches completion, eventually in the new heaven and the new earth. But my friend, you have a choice. Are you willing to submit to his rule? Are you willing to spread his kingdom? Or does he weep over you as those who were not willing?